Wow, guys, I am so excited. We officially made it to the third podcast. Hi there, I'm Kelsey. Here on the Save Podcast, I love chatting about the saving work of Jesus Christ and the good work that he wants to do in each and every one of our lives. If you stick around long enough, you'll learn that I, like all of us, am still getting to know Jesus better and better day by day. But I hope what I share on this podcast encourages you into a deeper relationship with him. So come on, let's explore our identity as Jesus's saved. So hello, hello, podcast friends. What is happening? I hope you had a wonderful weekend and just that you're having a good May so far. It is springtime. I hope it's sunny wherever you are. I know I definitely feel refreshed being able to get outside more and see more sunlight. Um, So I hope that that's happening for you too, unless you live I don't know, like in Alaska or the South Pole or something like that. Um, Anyway, let's stay focused. Welcome to the Saved Podcast. On this podcast, I love to chat all things life, faith, and Jesus. Um, Just last week, last week was kind of a big train wreck, but I thought it still ended up okay. Um, Ended up talking about perfectionism kind of off the cuff and uh, just getting really real with you guys. And on the first week, we were talking about what the word saved really means. Um, So this week, as we get going, the topic that I want to talk about is marriage advice with Adam and Eve. Um, I know that takes kind of a little bit of a different turn than what we've been talking about so far, but I just started going through a Bible in the year devotional. And of course, it starts in the book of Genesis. So <laughs> that's really what had me focusing on the story of Adam and Eve. Um, you know, it's something that we talk about all the time, or maybe you've heard a few times in uh, Sunday school when you were growing up, or um, you've just heard rumors of it or all that kind of stuff. But I really encourage you after we um, talk through this podcast to, to dig into the story of Adam and Eve and, and really read the, the text in the Bible for yourself. Um, I am reading the ESV study Bible. Um, and that's where we're going to be coming out of today, primarily in Genesis chapter three and verse four. Of course, in, excuse me, not verse four, chapter three and chapter four. Of course, chapters one and two are primarily the creation account um, of how God created the whole universe, which I think is especially intriguing. And there's all kinds of interesting theories out there about were the seven days a literal seven days? Were they... Um, um, days that were marked by actual years instead, and it was like hundreds of thousands of years or whatever. If you want to hear me talk about that in a future podcast, send me an email. Um, but really what we're focusing on today is the creation of man and woman and how that creation, kind of what God has said to them, and also how the original sin or fall, as it's referred to, um, contributed to Adam and Eve's relationship. I think there's some good stuff that we can learn from there. So really, to get started, I just want to go into this thinking about this podcast is primarily about marriage. Um, the advice that I'm going to share, I guess, could re- apply to um, dating relationships and things like that. But really, it's primarily cer- centered around marriage. 
Um, because that's the kind of relationship that Adam and Eve were in almost exclusively, I would say, in this text. Um, however, even if you're not married, I encourage you to listen to it. Maybe one day you will be, and this advice may be helpful to you, and it just gives us some good things to think about. Also, I'm going into this with the assumption that this advice applies to married Christian couples specifically. Um, I think these are good guiding principles for everyone to live by, but I don't think the biblical example of marriage or the biblical institution of marriage or even the God-given framework that we're given in Genesis applies to someone if they're not a follower of Christ. Again, like I said, I think it's a good lesson for everybody, but it's not going to mean that much to you, or you're not going to have a very good incentive of following it unless you and your spouse know Jesus. So anyway, of course, as we're talking about marriage, we are going to be talking about sex on this podcast. Nothing too graphic or too in detail, but just wanted to let you know if you have some young ears around, you might want to skip this podcast and uh, listen to a previous one that we've recorded. So let's jump into the text. We are starting in Genesis chapter 2, looking at how God created Adam and Eve. At this point, the whole earth had been created, the stars in the heavens, um, the birds of the of the sky and the animals of the ground, um, but everything was still pretty fresh. At this point, um, God had created everything and it was perfect. The text talks about how God created everything and said it was good. Um, so to give you a little bit of a setting here on this story, of course it's true, so it's not a fictional story, but to give you some setting and context into what we're talking about here, that's what the earth was like. It was untouched by skin, excuse me, untouched by skin. It was untouched by sin um, and it was perfect as God had created it. So Adam was created first. That's exactly what the text says, like I mentioned in chapter two, um, that Adam had been created. However, he was by himself. Um, God had been speaking with him and telling him what he could eat for food. He was telling Adam that he now had dominion over the animals that had been created, and Adam had the privilege of naming them. However, even after naming all of the animals and seeing each and every one of him, it says in the text, specifically in verse 20, that there was not found a helper fit for him. Adam was by himself. And specifically, as we look, the Lord God himself says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, I think it's really interesting that up until this point, God only described his creation as good. But for the first time, we're seeing God saying, it is not good that a man should be alone. Now, I think we could all agree with this in today's present society for a variety of reasons that we're going to talk about here in a minute as to why men can't be left alone. It's also worth recognizing that women can't be left alone either. Um, We're not called to live our lives in isolation. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's continue to talk about the creation of man and woman. So at this point, Adam had been created. He's by himself. And God is saying it is not good that he does not have a helper. So anyway, um, just paraphrasing a little bit for you here in verses 21 
and 22, um, God causes a deep sleep to become or to come over the man. And a woman is actually made out of a piece of flesh from Adam. And one of my favorite verses in Genesis is right here in verse 23, where the man awakes to the woman and says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Man, guys, that is rich. I'll have you know that every time my husband says to me that I'm bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, it just really gives me the warm and fuzzies inside. Um, What does that even mean? What is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? Of course, Eve was made from the skin and bone of Adam, but I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful illustration of how... um, woman and man are are called to have a deep and intimate relationship with one another. Um, They essentially are the same part of one person. So anyway, our pal Adam now has a helper and that's Eve. Um, The author then continues on to say at the end of chapter two, and assuming here that the author is Moses, um, there is some um, different opinions out there about who is the author of the book of Genesis, but it's widely held that it probably was Moses. The author, again, assuming it was Moses in verse 24 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So that is a summary of the creation of man and woman. Man was created first. He needed a helper. Eve was created. And then we are given the example of marriage. I think that's the institution of marriage in verse 24 is saying that now a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So let's talk about what all of this means. I think there are some really interesting um examples and framework that is to be drawn here out of Genesis chapter two. Um, first and foremost, I already I already launched on this topic and, and now I'm really going to go on it about how a man needs a woman and a woman needs a man. Okay, that's what we learned is that Adam did need a helper. Of course, you might be listening to this as a woman and say, you know what, Kelsey, the Bible's absolutely right. I've seen this time and time again. If it wasn't for me, my husband would be starving. He'd be wearing dirty, wrinkly clothes. He'd be lost and sad and alone. And I guess that's not necessarily true. I think men can take care of themselves. But it is true that women were created in order to be their helper, to complement them in their role, to be able to assist them, give them companionship and joy, to give them encouragement in the Lord and help them have a better relationship with him. But I also think it's worth saying that a woman needs a man as well. And I know that this is very countercultural and some may say anti-feminist, Maybe, but I I just don't see how you can look at this text and say that oh it's unbiblical for a woman to desire a man or to need a man to watch out for her. Um, she was created as a part of Adam. Without Adam, she wouldn't exist. I'm not saying that women's sole job in life is to serve a man or that's the only reason that she was created is because men needed someone and therefore that her purpose is useless. But instead, I think it is more here about the fact that God created them both in his image. That said early on in the text in 
verse, or excuse me, chapter one of Genesis, um, verse 27, God created man, and that's referring to both man and woman, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So essentially, I am saying that man and woman were both created for God exclusively, first and foremost, and that then they were created to be in relationship with each other. So I just hope you're hearing the right thing here, not that woman's sole purpose in life is to serve a man and that a man would be completely lost and totally sad without a woman. I am more so saying that man and woman were both created in God's image to serve or essentially, I would say, assist one another as they serve God. I think that's the biblical picture of marriage here. And I want to touch a little bit more on the fact that men and women are different, but complementary. They complement each other in their roles. Um, obviously, Adam and Eve, as we're going to hear later in the text a little bit here, um, their roles were different. Um, Adam's role was to be out in the field, to be taking care of the animals, to be um, a steward over the garden that God had created. Um, and a woman's role, um, and again, not to sound like a fan of the big, bad patriarchy or anything like that. But a woman does have unique and special gifts, especially when it comes to tenderness, to nurturing, um, to being focused on relationships and really nurturing the social aspect of a marriage and um, of a relationship. I think it's very clear in the text that man and woman are different. They are not the same. Um, they have different roles, but they both are equally important in God's eyes and both equally created in his image. Also, I'd like to touch on the fact that in Genesis chapter 2, we are given the very clear picture that biblical marriage is between one, one man and one woman. I'd like to point out that this is how it was created before the fall, and I don't want to come off in like an unloving way. More so, what I'm saying is that we all struggle in not living into God's design for our life. There's a whole host of sins that are listed in the Bible that I know I break and just do not live up to every single day. But I do know also that the Bible gives a very, very clear picture as to what God had designed for our life here on this earth for our good and for his glory. So again, biblical marriage here, as it's described in Genesis chapter two, before the fall and before the introdu introduction of sin is between one, excuse me, one man and one woman. Also, let's talk about verse 24 of chapter two, where it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. What does this mean? I think it's pretty self-explanatory, um, but I'd like to hash it out just a little bit. Um, a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife. So when you are married, um, of, well, let's talk about before you're married. Before you're married, um, your priorities should probably be something like God and um your faith at the top, your parents being second in line and your immediate family also being incorporated in there. And then kind of like your friends or other associates kind of fall into that next level. I don't know why I use the words associates, probably because I work in business. But anyway, that's besides the point. When you get married, your priorities shift. So now still God in your faith should be at the highest list of your priorities of your relationships. But next up is your spouse, caring for your spouse, nurturing your marriage, enjoying life with one another, prioritizing each other, spending a majority of time with one another, serving the preferences and interests of one another, um, all 
comes before your family. That's not to say that you can never talk to your family again as soon as you get married. Casey and I both still have very good relationships with our parents, but we both know first and foremost that our obligation is to each other, is to the comfort of each other, to the preference of each other, and to serving one another um, as as um, we are called to in Christ. So that's another piece here of how that applies today is that as a married couple, um, you should be serving one another first. You should be spending the most time with each other. Um, you should be listening to the direction and wisdom of each other um, all before your parents. I still think it's very wise to seek um, counsel of those that are more experienced than you. Um, but ultimately, um, if you... Um, our wife, you should be listening to the ultimate decision of your husband and not like talking trash about him behind his back to your family. And if you're a husband, you should be respecting the wishes of your wife, especially if it comes to parenting um, and being involved with your family and your now immediate family, I would say, um, of the two of you plus your child that comes before your parents. So I hope that makes sense. Finally, in verse 24, let's talk about sex. Cue music in the background. So yes, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I think this is specifically talking about sex. And uh, also so does the ESV uh, study Bible. Actually, that's why I think that is because... Uh, very, very talented and wise scholars <laughs> are the ones that have interpreted that. Um, and that's just kind of how it's been known for years. Um, I think most people kind of know that that's what it's talking about there. But one thing I want to make sure we're clarifying is that sex is not just physical. Of course, that is a big part of it. But uh, if you're just having physical sex, I think you should do some reading about what the Bible says about sex and what God desires for our sex lives, because sex is also meant to be emotional and spiritual. It's a very intimate connection with someone else um, that you only share with that other person in a way that you bond yourselves to each other um, in a way that is good in the sight of God in the context of marriage. I know that's kind of hard, or at least it was for me when I first got married to switch my thinking from just sex and temptation being terrible to now I'm married and I get to enjoy the full gift of sex and it is good in God's eyes and it's even glorifying to him. But I'm here to tell you that that is the truth. If you want to chat more about this and you'd like to hear um, what I think the Bible has to say about this and not just what I have, what I think about that, but what experts um, and biblical scholars think, again, send me an email. We can chat about it, but I'm going to leave it here at that for now um, is that Adam and Eve were called to be one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Again, this is before the fall. So this is in the ideal creation of marriage. So talking about the fall, let's talk a little bit about what that means for our friends Adam and Eve and what that means for us today. When we use the term the fall, we are talking about the first instance of sin that is recorded in the Bible. Um, and honestly, not just recorded in the Bible, but um, arguably that took place. Um, it's referred to sometimes as original sin, something that we're all born with um, because we're descendants of Adam and Eve. We all share in their original sin. Um, it is 
what first separated creation from God. Up until this point, um, men and women and all of the earth were created to be in constant communion with God, to walk with him in the garden, and I think quite arguably to live forever. Um, We're going to talk about here at the end of chapter three, how Adam and Eve were driven from the garden before they could eat from the tree of life. And scripture points to the fact that that ultimately is how we were to live with God, um, with him forever and ever and ever, um, with never experiencing any sin, to be stewards over his creation um, and to be in a perfect relationship with him. But let's go back a little bit. Let's rewind and talk about what this fall, what this sin means. What happened? I'm going to paraphrase for you. Chapter three, again, I highly encourage you to read it. Um, Even if you have before, it's really refreshing to go back and read those words again. Um, What happens is the serpent approaches Eve and tempts her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is something that God explicitly said to Adam when he first created him and put him in the garden is that you can eat from any tree except this one. You should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave a command. And the serpent shows up. And in verse two, he's saying, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree? Or excuse me, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent or the devil or the enemy, however you prefer to refer to him, that's his number one tactic, is putting lies in our minds about what God has said. The serpent says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And that's not the truth at all. Previously, when the earth was created, and like I said, Adam was put in the garden, God said you could eat from any tree, but the one of the knowledge of good and evil. So anyway, the serpent shows up, tempts Eve, and even tells Eve that God knows that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll not die. You'll be like God. That's another lie that the enemy loves to tell us is that God's wrong and he's lying to us and he doesn't know what's best for us and that really he just doesn't want him to be want us to be like him. This is not the truth. Okay, God desires what is best for us. Yes, he did create us to glorify him. And that includes ensuring that he gives us commands to live our lives that are holy and pleasing to him, ultimately for his glory and also in our best interest. So the serpent shows up to Eve, tempts her to eat. She goes for it, like I said, especially when she finds out that she can be like God himself. Then she goes and shares the fruit with Adam. So now the two of them have engaged in sin together. They realize what they have done and therefore they hide from God. They are ashamed. Obviously, God knows what they did. Scripture points to the fact that he is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent everywhere. But when he looks for them in the garden, he still gives them the chance to answer him in verse 9. In verse 9 specifically, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Okay, this applies to sin in our lives even today. God knows that we've messed up. God knows that we've fallen short, but he still gives us the chance to come to him and confess it. We can even look in the New Testament, the woman in the well, God knew everything about her. Um, But again, he gives her the chance to be open and honest. Um, Another message um, that I think is beautiful um, and just so heartwarming, but it's totally 
off track from where we are today. Let's stick with where we're going here. So um, God gives them, Adam and Eve, the opportunity to answer him. God specifically calls out for the man and confronts him first. Even though it was Eve that ate of the fruit first and that was tempted by Satan, God calls out for the man and confronts him first. If you don't believe me, I think you should head on over to verse 9 in Genesis chapter 3 and read it for yourself because it's very clear that the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Anyway, um, so God and Adam and Eve um, have to deal with the fact that they disobeyed him. God says to the serpent, um, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your, or excuse me, Yes, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God first places a curse on the serpent. God then says to the woman, I'll multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to to your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Then God goes on to say that because you have fallen short, you will have turmoil in the field and will now have to work for your food. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat your bread. That's harsh, but it's deserving because... um, Adam and Eve didn't listen to God's command. He had one rule for them. He had one command that he gave them and they fell short. Now I know it can be tempting in this moment to look back to Adam and Eve and say, how stupid. If only they had known what sin would do to our lives and to our world today, maybe they could have just tried a little harder. I'm here to tell you that if it were you and me in the garden, if it were you and your spouse, if it was just you in the garden, this all would have happened anyway. God has given us our free will in order that we can choose to love him. Unfortunately, because of our free will, we also choose to sin. And that's the result here is that now the serpent and slash the enemy slash the devil is cursed. The woman and um, all of her childbearing and quite frankly, childbearing today, is cursed. Adam and his toil for the land, um, the work that he now has to put in for his food is now cursed. And also we see in verse 19, the um, phrase that you may have heard before, you are dust and to dust you shall return. So pretty severe consequences for sin. Um, I think we talked about this in the first podcast that sin is is not a joke and sin is very serious. And I think it is very clear here in Genesis chapter 3 of just how serious that sin is. So anyway, this happens. And now what's going to happen next um, after these after this kind of like strict and harsh rebuke is, is offered by God and... Um, also, um, the, the consequences of sin are announced by God. Um, it may seem that God is being pretty harsh and overreacting. Um, however, this is for Adam and Eve's own good. Because God is so perfect and so wonderful, if they continued to be in his presence, knowing good and evil and having sinned, they would not exist. It's kind of hard to grasp with our finite human mind and language, but we can look even in other examples in the Old Testament about how the priests, if they didn't do the 
ceremonial cleansings appropriately before they approached the presence of God in the tabernacle, they died. If people carried the tabernacle incorrectly or with callousness um, or didn't regard um, the power of God, they died. And that is to point to the fact that without the intercession of Jesus cleansing us from our sin or in the Old Testament without the intercession of sacrifices and priestly cleansings, we cannot tolerate being in the presence of God. So because God cared for Adam and Eve, he drove them out of the garden. He still made clothes for them to cover them because they were now ashamed of their nakedness. And he also drove them out of the garden before they could eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sinful state. So really it's out of love that God is acting here, that he's now protecting his creation. He's protecting his people. He still cares about them and the fact that he, he guys, he made clothes for them. All right. Even after they disobeyed him, he could have just, I mean, and let them die in that instance, but he still cared for them so much that he sacrificed some of his other creation. He sacrificed some animals to create clothing for them. So I think that still speaks to God's love for them. Whew. I hope you're tracking with me so far. This is rich stuff. Let's talk about what the fall, what original sin now means for marriage today in the 21st century. First and foremost, in marriage, your sin is not your own. It can be easy to think, oh, this gossip that I continually engage in, this judgment that I continually hold towards, this habit of pornography that I have, this habit of lust that I have, as long as I keep it to myself, it's not going to impact my spouse. Unfortunately, you should know from your own experience that that is not the case. And also we can point to Genesis chapter 3 and say that that's not the case either. Eve sinned and therefore that sin got shared with Adam for them both to experience the consequences of. So that's a really harsh reminder. I know sometimes it can be challenging when we're tempted to sin to just throw it to the wind and say, oh, I'm the only one that's going to be impacted by this. It doesn't really matter. Maybe God will be upset with me, but he won't be upset with my spouse or anybody else. It's fine. But that is not true. That is not the truth. In those moments of temptation, I challenge you. This is something that I'm even speaking to myself. I challenge myself to really think about the impact that it has on the other person. Even if it doesn't seem like it will have an immediate impact on them, it still does. That is the truth, that our sin, our choice to rebel against God, our choice to willingly hurt others, our choice to even unknowingly hurt others, does impact our spouse. So that's the first thing I think that Genesis chapter 3 teaches us about our marriage today. Um, also, I think that in Genesis chapter 3, and again, this is not just something I think, I it's clearly stated in the text and is also backed up by the opinion and study of scholars, is that God designed man to be the head of the household. This is seen in many other places in the text, in Ephesians and 1 Peter in the New Testament. God designed man or the husband to be the head of the household, to be in charge ultimately for the leadership and also ultimately for the spiritual health of the house. Again, like I mentioned, this is seen elsewhere in the Bible, but here in Genesis chapter 3, I believe I pointed this out when it says specifically that the Lord God called to the man and said to him. 
Men, that is a big call for you and that is not something that I take lightly. That is something that I do not take lightly either for my husband and the responsibility that he has. Of course, I, in the power of Christ, do my best to support him in that role um, and to make sure that leading our at this point, family of two in faith is a blessing to him. But men, ultimately, it is on your shoulders. It is your responsibility um, to really be leading your wife and your children, if you have them, in their spiritual maturity and growth. Not be running on autopilot, not letting your wife be the one to wake up early and take your kids to church every Sunday, not allowing your wife to be the one that's solely responsible for teaching your children the faith. It is ultimately, in the text, explicitly stated your responsibility and something that God has called you to. I think it would be wise for you to seek the wisdom of other men on this because as a woman, I don't think it's right for me to tell you what, what your responsibility is in this area um, in a more detailed sense. I think it's very clear in the text. I think it's very clear in other resources out there. Um, so please, please pray about taking that con- just very seriously and uh, pursuing it further to be a more godly husband. Women, like I mentioned, it is our job to support our men in that role for them to be blessed by getting to be the spiritual leader of our household. In Proverbs 31, I would love to talk about this in detail in a further podcast. It says that it is a woman's honor to be the gemstone in her husband's crown. I think that's just such a beautiful image. To be the woman that our husband is proud to call his. To be the woman that our husband is honored to have as his wife, who is a godly servant of the family, um, of her community, is industrious and efficient, um, is very um, biblically humble and wise. Um, It's just a blessing that we can be to our husband's um, in this way. Okay. Um, let's talk about the, um, result of sin that God states to the woman in her pain and childbearing and to the man and the sweat of your face, um, being the ingredient of bread, (laughs) essentially. Um, this is pretty self-explanatory. I have not had a child yet. Um, it's my prayer that one day I'll get to, um, even though there's that just intense and terrible pain that at this point I've only read about, but I'm sure I'll experience. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think that's an, an, a result of sin. That's what the text says. Um, for for men um, in your work, whether it be out in the fields, whether it be at an office, whether it be in sales, whether it be in healthcare, whether it be in industry or manufacturing, whether it be in, um, gosh, I don't know, like every every uh, profession out there, education, um, business, um, technology, um, government, all of these things. The work of man as a result of sin is now challenged. Um, Even in verse 18, it says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. It's tough out there, guys, and uh, unfortunately, that's a result of our sin. I think we can look around in this world even today and uh, see a lot of results of our sin. Look at the political division that we see. Look at the hate and enmity we see. Look at the poverty we see, um, natural disaster. Um, You could even argue climate change. Um, These things are a result of our sinful state. Um, The earth is in a state of sin because of us, Um, not only Adam and Eve, but the sins that we decide to make day by day. 
Um, let's also talk about here in the woman's um, results of her sin in verse 16. It says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Again, this speaks into a little bit about the roles of husbands and wives in marriage, um, where it's the husband's ultimate duty and responsibility um, to make the final decision and a, a woman's call to submit to that decision. Unfortunately, I probably could have told you this after the first day of being married, and if you've been married for many, 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 many years, you can probably agree to this, that a husband and wife do not always agree with one another. Unfortunately, we often see issues in two different ways and have two different interests in them. Um, And it unfortunately is easier to serve ourselves in those decisions than it is to serve our spouse. Um, That's a result of sin. That's a result of our self-centeredness. Again, a result of original sin and sin today. What that means is we need to be more conscientious of our spouse's um, hopes, dreams, aspirations, um, desires, and try to put them above our own. Of course, that does not come easily and is only possible through the love and compassion of Christ. Um, but that that is the standard that we're called to. Um, unfortunately, a result of our sin is... Um, being in conflict with our spouse, um, but through Christ, um, that's something that can be remedied. Okay, um, let's see. Final point I would like to talk about, about what the fall means for Adam and Eve um, and what it means for our marriage and relationships today is that, like I put some emphasis on, God still loves us and makes clothes for us. What I mean by that is he still covers us up. He covers our sin, and that's through the love of Jesus Christ. Um, Many, many, many scriptures point to the fact that when Jesus died, he took his perfect and white robe of holiness and placed it over our shoulders. Even though we live in absolute poverty spiritually, I I mean, you could even say, um, Yeah, I would say we live in poverty spiritually Um, because of our sin. Jesus, by dying on the cross and paying the debt for that sin, put his holy and perfect robe on us. He washed us clean by his blood. Um, And now we can be in God's presence. Our shame and guilt is covered. And I think in verse three, when God makes clothing for Adam and Eve, that is an illustration that ultimately points to the work that Jesus would do on the cross. God clothed Adam and Eve to protect them from their shame. And Jesus clothes us in his righteousness again, to protect us from our shame and the result that our sin has warranted us. This is something that needs to happen on a daily basis, not only for us individually, but also for our marriages to stay strong. Um, As the text says, and as my, I don't know, I wanted to say good friend. It's not like Pastor Gary and I hang out, but (laughs) Pastor Gary um, from the church that my husband and I go to in Big Rapids, um, who I just think is an incredible wise teacher, always gives the marriage advice, again, taken from the scriptures, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So daily, we need to be reconciled to our spouses because our sin is going to get in the way daily. We sin daily, we sin hourly, we sin by the minute. And not dealing with that, not apologizing for that, reconciling that, recognizing even that we did it is going to cause extreme strife and division in our marriage. So we need to daily come to our spouse and admit our shortcomings, ways that we might have hurt them, ways that we might not have put them first, ways that we might have been trying to serve ourselves in our marriage and ask them for their forgiveness and ultimately take it to Jesus and accept the forgiveness that he has given us through his power alone. 
And ultimately, I'd like to wrap this podcast up by saying that's what marriage is. Marriage is two sinners coming hand in hand and chasing after Christ. Marriage isn't always perfect, despite what social media might tell you, um, despite what um, misconception you might hold in your mind. I have been married for 10 months, and yes, it is the best decision of my life aside from following Christ, but also it is a daily dying to oneself to put the other's interests above your own to the glory of Christ. So I'm going to leave you with that illustration, guys. Um, If you're married, grab that hand of that sinner next to you. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you just pray that your marriage can be glorifying to God and just pursue Jesus together. If you're not married, pray for that person right now. Pray for that person that one day God may bring into your life for you to marry, um, that you too may be united and be one flesh as the text talks about, that you too may be one as God, the Father, and um, the church are one. May you and your heart, I pray, just be satisfied in this moment, in your current season of singleness, in your with your relationship with Christ alone, until that time that he has that person planned to enter your life. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If there's anything that I went over that you'd like to hear more about or you have a different opinion about, please send me an email. The email for this podcast is the saved podcast at gmail.com. I would really love to hear from you guys. I have not gotten a single email yet. So even if you just want to drop me a line and say, hello, thank you for doing this podcast or hello, I totally disagree with everything you say. At least I'll have something in my inbox other than just the standard Google welcome to Gmail emails. So I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Have a great week. And I, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to Saved.